0: You're listening to PetLifeRadio.com. Paranormal Pets is brought to you by PetCo.com. PetCo is a leading specialty retailer of premium pet food supplies and services, offering more than 10,000 high quality pet related products. Enter the code Paranormal10, Paranormal, the number 10, and get 10% off any order. No minimum. At Petco.com.
1: It's eleven o'clock at night. It's dark. You're sitting in front of the mirror, getting ready for bed. There's nobody else in the house. You see something move in the corner of your eye. You glance to your right, but you don't see anything. Another minute goes by, and you think you see movement again. So you slowly turn to your left. But again, the room is empty. You turn back around, and staring you face to face in the mirror is a cat. You jump back because you don't have a cat, and there's no cat in the room. But there he is, staring at you in the mirror. Welcome to Paranormal Pets, where you can always expect the unexpected. Each week, we'll discuss all aspects of weird or spiritual animal encounters, ghosts, totems, psychic animals, animal souls, animal angels, and animals in religion, with a little cryptozoology thrown in. Now, step into the supernatural
2: world of pets with your Paranormal Pets ghostly host, our ghost host. Hello, and welcome to Paranormal Pets. I'm your host, Brandi Stark, and we are here on PetLifeRadio.com. In part two of Felines in the Supernatural, we're going to continue with the research that I found on cats as linked to sorcery and witchcraft. So we'll actually get started right after these commercial messages. We'll be right back.
1: Now, time for something really scary. A word from our sponsors. Paranormal pets will reappear before you can say Bigfoot. Don't run away. Hey, boy,
0: how you doing? What am I doing? I'm creating your own life book. It's a website that's just for you. Remember that picture I took of you pulling off Lisa's bathing suit? (laughs) Yeah, I know, me too. I'm putting that awesome picture on your life book page. We'll see what comments we get. And that great video we took of you standing on the table with your head inside the turkey? That's definitely going on there. (coughs) No, it's easy. It only took me two minutes to set up your page. I chose a great theme, and I can connect with millions of other pet parents. I can also create a memorial life book. (coughs) No, not for Grandma. But we can make one for Fluffy, remember her? And we can even put links to our favorite pet charity. And friends can make donations. People can create their own life book for their pets by going to PetLifeRadio.LivingYearsPets.com or they can sign up on the pet Life Radio homepage. <coughs> Where's Lisa? She's outside by the pool. <coughs> hey, come back here. <coughs> create your own life book for your pet. PetLifeRadio.LivingYearsPets.com.
2: Welcome to Sassy Seniors, a show about our fabulous older dogs and cats. I'm your host, Kelly Jackson. You know, I wanted to create a show to really showcase our senior pets. and You know, as a human population ages and lives longer, of course, so are our wonderful pets. But many of us with aging pets, is so interesting. We have a tough time realizing or really admitting that they are seniors. So, in a way, I kind of like to think of our senior pets as, as wise puppies. What do you think about that? Be sure to join us for another edition. Of Sassy Seniors. And remember, celebrate your senior pets.
0: Every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com. Let's talk pets on PetLifeRadio.com.
1: Did you hear that? Our commercials have mysteriously disappeared. Paranormal Pets is back with our haunted host,
2: our ghost host. And welcome back. We left off last time talking a little bit about the evolution of the cat through Bastet, Sekhmet, and some of the Egyptian goddesses, all the way up through actually the 1400s, <laughs> the use of, uh, unfortunately, the Hammer of the Witches when that came out. So we actually go from pagan origins to the strength of the Catholic Church, and during this time, of course, cats shifted from being supernatural entities, goddesses, into uh, something considerably less powerful, or at least less positive in the sense of devil incarnations and familiars for witches. So we'll pick up here. The ideas linking cats to magic, particularly the variety involved with spiritual evil, was greatly enhanced by the publication of The Hammer of the Witches in 1487. The script is attributed to Heinrich Kramer and Jacob Springer, who submitted it to the University of Cologne's Faculty of Theology. It was initially rejected and by 1490 condemned. The use of the printing press and the misbelief that it was endorsed by the Pope from the Catholic Church made it a popular book. The Dominican friars heavily spread the witch-hunting craze between the 15th to 17th centuries, which escalated the sale of this book. During the time, the sale of the hammer was only exceeded by that of the Bible. Initially the Catholic Church denied the use of witchcraft. The purpose of the hammer was to refute this. It was designed to teach church officials how to identify, torture, try, and convict witches it did endorse the idea that witches were more often women than men. Methods of detection included examining birthmarks, psychiatric disorders, eccentricity, and having pet cats while living alone. Thousands of individuals, primarily women, were executed as a result of this book during the period of the witch trials. Cats were directly addressed in the hammer with the story of witches in cat form. One described a workman who was chopping wood to burn his house. A large cat appeared and attacked him, he fended it off. A second cat appeared and attacked him, and he again tried to fend it off. Finally, three giant cats attacked him, and he was only able to drive them away with great effort and a lot of prayer. The explanation for this odd story is that devils had assumed this form. The cats were linked up to women who magically received the blows of the workmen intended for the cats. The Hammer explained that the devils took on the phantasm of a cat because they represented perfidiousness. Cats, and by association women, did not often work well together, and thus were perceived as petty and non-cooperative. The cat's natural enemy, of course, was the barking dog, which was the symbol of the order of the preaching friars. As devils could transform into cats, so could witches, the diabolical lovers of demons. Thus the feline form became that of the witch and vice versa. A later publication, A Confirmation and Discovery of Witchcraft by John Stern, 1648, reinforced the idea of the hammer. It restated that the Bible condemns witchcraft as anyone who is a soothsayer, enchanter, conjurer, one who uses charms to tame serpents, and anyone who is a necromancer. It clearly presents the notion that a witch, which is more commonly a woman, should be put to death, and then gives examples of individuals who confess to witchcraft their crimes and punishment. Oddly, the witches are often enticed through money or possessions, though not an overabundance of either, and the devil and his imps appear in several entries as mice, rats, and dogs. Cats are not heavily mentioned in this journal. An identifier of a witch is the use of the familiar. The familiar is used to set charms, spells to cure diseases, or through magical instrumentation to use the instrument of damage to cure injury. The witch's power lies with the ability to summon the devil and the familiar spirits to do her bidding. Familiars had to be tamed by a person of extraordinary power. Only a person who worked in the dark arts could bend the power of the creature to do its will. Witches and sorcerers, like cats, were associated with penetrating stares, also likened to the evil eye. Thus, only one of like power could tame a cat and use its power. The cat and the witch are forever linked this way. Eventually, belief in the supernatural fell to the role of the superstitious. In Britain, it was considered lucky to see a black cat, while white cats may be unlucky. Meeting a black cat was fortunate, particularly if it ran across the path of the observer. It was considered a good sign if a black cat voluntarily came into a house or boarded a ship. No one was allowed to chase a black cat away, or it would take its luck with it. In East Yorkshire, there is a tradition that says it was so lucky to own a black cat, though it was unlucky to meet one. Of course, in the United States, Belgium, and Spain, it is bad luck to see a black cat, particularly if it crosses one's path. Other cats of color represent the lucky traditions in some countries. The tortoiseshell cat brings luck to owners in Britain, and blue cats do the same in Russia. Cats also remain connected with death long past the Egyptian era. In Britain and other parts of Europe, it was believed that if a cat left a house when there was a sick person inside and could not be coaxed back in, that death was approaching. Cats were also said to desert a house While it housed an unburied corpse, it would return immediately after the funeral. If a cat jumped over a body, it had to be killed at once, as it was a bad omen for the dead person's soul. Cats should not sleep with children, for they will suck the breath and cause them to die. Like suckment before, felines were associated with the supernatural control of the weather. It was said that when cats ran around wildly or clawed at carpets and cushions, individuals should expect windy weather. When a cat washed their ears, rain was coming they sat with their backs to a fire, a snowstorm would approach. It was believed that throwing a cat overboard during a voyage would induce terrible sea storms as well. Sneezing from a cat also promised rain, but was considered a good omen. The power of the cat reaches into many other cultures. In some modern indigenous tribes, the cat is linked to the shamanic power. In South America, the Yage plant was used to induce out-of-body experiences and spiritual experiences. It is also used to divine the cause of illness and effect cures, a process that anthropologists call culture-bound syndromes. In these cultures, illness can be cast by sorcerers who utilize witchcraft by summoning spirit darts to attack their enemies. Yage can also be used to divine the future for contacting spirit beings for flight of the shaman and to aid in intergroup stability. When a shaman imbues the yage during a drug into his system in order to effect the above cures, he might see brightly colored large snakes, jaguars, ocelots, and other jungle cats, spirits of ancestors and others, or even trees, lakes, and other villages and gardens. They are also said to hear rushing water. They may have bright visual flashes and can even feel descent into darkness. The connection between cats and the supernatural linked to South American people shows some connection to the idea of Egypt and Europe. Again, cats appear to those involved in the liminal state. The Yagi pushes the shaman and its users into an altered state of reality. It also connects the living to the dead, especially through the use of the deceased ancestors. Though they are not the only creatures to assist with the removal of sorceries, but are linked to the processes and are accepted as possible outcomes of the Yagi ingestion, cats certainly retain a rather prominent place in these societies. Carrying Supernatural Cats Into the Now, Puss in Boots now, personally, I thought this was one of the more interesting aspects because, uh, quite frankly, Puss in Boots was never one of my very favorite fairy tales. But now I have to rethink my stance on that. So, a more modern-day story of the supernatural attributes of cats may be that of Puss in Boots. This fairy tale was likely based on early folk tales of animals assisting their owners. The story features, oftentimes actually features other helping animals such as the Sicilian version with the fox as a clever trickster. Uh, And these certainly predated Puss in Boots. There is some evidence that this particular story with the cat as helper was linked to a true personage in the form of Richard Whittington, a mayor of London. He was the youngest son who hit upon fame and fortune during his lifetime, which may have seemed to be supernaturally funded. The initial story appears to be written by Giovanni Francesco Straparola, there we go, who lived between 1480 and 1558. He wrote during the time of the famous pilgrimage stories that later coupled with plague-fleeing tales such as the Decameron. This author created his own series of tales compiled into a book called The Pleasurable Nights. It was published in Venice in 1550 and 1555. The book featured a 100 stories told by 10 people taking refuge from the plague. Here it was an old woman who left her possessions to her three sons. The eldest received items related to the trade, bread-making, but the last son, Constantine, had the cat. The elder brothers gave the instruments to neighbors who utilized them to make food for them in return, so the brothers gave away their equipment and got food back, yet they did not share with their youngest brother. He was forced to rely on the aid of the cat, in this story, a female. This version of Puss in Boots is interesting because the cat's supernatural ability is quite evident. The cat is a transformed fairy literally, a transformed fairy, and she's able to heal her master, who is plagued by terrible sores, by looking at his disfiguring scabs. She also allows him to gain a reputation so that he is given the courtesy of escorting the king's daughter to her new husband. The husband is a soldier, and he's killed on the way to meet the bride, and so Constantine remains her guardian and thus gains additional political power. This version of the story seems to be a nod towards Sekhmet and Bastet in their friendlier forms. The fairy is obviously a magical creature, perhaps similar to the notion of a familiar utilized in the hammer. The role of the dying parent is feminized to the mother, and the clever cat, who possessed the ability to heal here, is also feminine. As the French and Italian courts often crossed, a second version of this tale was published by Giovanni Baccelli, 1575-1632, uh, to a court poet for several Italian courts. His story had a poor fisherman who left to his two sons his earthly possessions. The elder again received the majority of the uh, utilitarian items while the youngest son gained a cat named Pipo. As with the French story, Pipo is female. However, unlike its predecessor, the son is not as savvy as prior young sons and the cat has to instruct him on how to behave throughout much of the story. He does gain the princess and from her wealth buys himself a castle only to later betray his cat guardian who leaves him to his wealth. I didn't include this with the research, but essentially it's quite funny because the cat does a very similar thing as Puss in Boots, where he, uh, she, excuse me, tells her owner to go and take a, a bath in a stream, and while the owner's in there, steals the clothing so that the king has to replace the boy's clothes. And apparently, in this story, the boy complains, and he complains about his lost clothes. He doesn't acknowledge that he has these brand new threads that are worth, you know, 15 times the amount of what he had. He's upset that he lost his original clothing, and the cat has to tell him to shut up, essentially. Uh, In addition to that, at the end of the story, the cat requests that upon her death, he is to bury her, and to do X, Y, and Z very much appropriately, uh, and to give her an honorable grave. Essentially, what this boy decides to do instead is a little bit different. The cat decides that she's going to feign her death. I don't know if you've ever met those people who like to pretend they're dead to see what their funeral is like. Well, that's what she does. She feigns her death, and the virtuous princess was actually quite willing to bury the cat appropriately, but the boy said, no, just throw her out the window. She's a dead cat. Who cares? The cat uh, magically sprung back to life, chastised the boy for not keeping his word, and left. So there we go. And actually, I think what we'll do is we'll actually pause for a couple of commercial messages because this looks like a good point to pause. And uh, I think I need to get my pugs out anyway. So we'll be back right after this.
1: Now, time for something really scary. A word from our sponsors. Paranormal pets will reappear before you can say Bigfoot. Don't run away.
0: Paranormal Pets is brought to you by 1-800-PET-MEDS, America's largest pet pharmacy. 1-800-PET-MEDS is your best source for pet medications, vitamins, supplements, and pet supplies. Get great savings, fast service, and free shipping. Go to PetMeds.com forward slash paranormal to get 10% off any order and free shipping on orders of $39 or more. Things, humans,
3: what planet am I on? Welcome to Pet Planet. Here's a copy of Pet Planet magazine, Florida's most informative and fun pet resource magazine. It features heartwarming stories and informative articles from local and national pet experts. Excellent. To my condo in Boca. Pet Planet magazine. Check them out at www.petplanetmagazine.com or 352-394-8578. It's out of this world.
2: Talk pets.
3: Let's talk pets on Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLiferadio.com.
1: Did you hear that? Our commercials have mysteriously disappeared. Paranormal Pets is back with our haunted host, our ghost host.
2: And welcome back to Paranormal Pets. We're gonna conclude our research with Puss and Boots. So uh, we're continuing to discuss the evolution of Puss in Boots as the story as we continue. Uh, Eventually the story arrived in Britain and was shuffled to books for children. Uh, Actually, they said that there were a couple of chapbooks and then books for kids, which I think is kind of interesting. John Harris published his version of Puss in lyric form, but added the illustrations of an artist to give his story an appeal to a young audience. His first edition appeared in 1827, and the second in 1830. Another version existed through Charles Crushank who disapproved of the inappropriate behaviors displayed in the story. <laughs> As an aside, in his later life, he became kind of like a moral crusader and a teetotaler and this sort of thing. So uh, He turned his version into George Crushank's fairy library, and his tale, held that the Marquis of Cabaras was the elder relative who did not die, but was deprived of his lands by an evil ogre. The hero of this story was his grandson, took on the remarkable transformation of a bewitched human. Once the land's gamekeeper, this arrogant man declared that he was unhappy with his lot in life and that his cat was better off. For this indiscretion, he was turned into the aforementioned cat to see if his lot improved. The story is not well known, as the fairy tale writer Charles Dickens disapproved of this version. Another version, written by John Murray in 1844, gave an expanded plot in which the cat explained why he chose to help his young master. Basically, it was because, unlike the elder brothers, the young master was kind to him. The most common form of the story studied here details the inheritance of three sons. And this is kind of the most commonly known plot, so I, I decided to resummarize summarize it. The father of the family leaves the first two sons prized possessions of the home, while the youngest receives only the family cat. Disgusted, he initially planned to kill the cat and use the fur to make gloves. The cat, however, revealed its supernatural nature and spoke to the youth, requesting that the boy buy him a pair of boots. The son complied and Puss put the boots on, then walked away on two legs. Puss is a smart creature and goes to the king's court. He tricks the king into believing that several gifts are actually from a wealthy nobleman, his master. The king, in return, gives sacks of gold to the cat, which he delivered to his master, making him quite wealthy. Finally, Puss has his master bathe in a stream, stealing the boy's clothes. The king sends some of his own clothes for the boy, who is then introduced to the princess. Meanwhile, Puss must procure land for his master to kind of fulfill this artificial plot that he has created. An evil magician lorded over an unhappy people. Puss challenged him to a shape-shifting contest and ate the wizard when he turned into a mouse. Puss gave the land to his master, who married the princess and made Puss his minister. Puss and Boots matches several standard ideals that link both the hero to a standard genre and Puss to the supernatural. The theme of the animal helper is quite popular, and despite the obvious self-centeredness of cats, Puss allows us to enjoy the improbable story of a cat helper. Initially, the young man fits into the characteristic of an orphan. No mother is mentioned and the father dies. Though he is not necessarily young, he is the youngest of the siblings and needs assistance. As an orphan, if you will, he is outcast, separated from normal society without connection to a family structure. He represents loneliness, but also possesses the ability and freedom to redefine himself. The young man must overcome insurmountable odds to achieve success, which can only happen with supernatural intervention. As a representative of the supernatural, Puss is a unique hybrid of the animal and the human. The proof of this, quite literally, is in the boots. Puss, in all of his incarnations, is shown dressed in two boots and standing on his hind legs. He looks a bit like a man in disguise. This is also reminiscent of ideas found with Bastet, who possessed a feline head atop of a human body. Hannah states that the use of the boots places the cat squarely in the realm of the human. The cat needs the boots to separate him from the earth and from the participation mystique. As with Sekmet and Bastet, Puss combines animal shrewdness with human cleverness. Puss in Boots represents a myriad of abilities in this folktale. Not only is he supernatural and an animal helper, but he undergoes his own quest for him. Here, Puss shows some of the supernatural ability attributed to cats. He seems to know things about court life that a cat from a lesser family should not know. He is able to literally walk into the world of the human and gain entry into places that might be denied to others. He knows and understands the supernatural from the standpoint of a cat, and achieves the seeming impossible from this intrinsic knowledge. He represents the duality of the human condition. Instead of his owner leaving the home to become independent, the boy finds a home after coming from nothing. Lastly, the cat retains the ability to punish others, similarly to the power of Sekhmet in ancient Egypt. In this tale, the wizard is guilty of attacking others, and he stands between the hero and his happiness. In stories such as this, vengeance is accomplished in the the God-in-the-Machine fashion by flying rocks, angry cats, poisonous foods, and so forth. Puss in Boots destroyed the evildoer by consuming him and grants the reward to his orphan master. Puss has achieved the form of fame in Shrek franchises. Although he is a supporting character, the anthropomorphic effect of the cat who speaks with a sultry accent is obvious. Though he presents himself as a clever but clumsy oaf in the movie, this newly resurrected Disney-esque character harkens back to an ancient tradition linked to one of humankind's earliest fascinations, the fickle, finicky, and fabulous feline. Conclusion When starting this research, I had initially hoped to find a series of ghost stories to mimic my earlier writings on dogs. However, I am pleased with the results of this paper, which shows that the difference between cats and dogs is more than species deep. It is a sense of relationships with humanity that create a unique interpretive history. Unlike the dog, the feline can truly revel in its own persona. The connection to witchcraft and goddesses is a fascinating avenue that surpasses the expectations of more ghost animal research. The cat has proven that it defies human nature and remains true to itself, an enigma that spans over 4,000 years of human history. So, there you have it. Fortunately, with this reading, I found a couple of... uh, Errors that I am able to correct, delightfully so, but I have to say I have a little bit of more respect for our friendly cat and I'm rather amazed at some of the historical ambiance that this creature grants us. I think that the last thing that I will do for this particular episode is to set the groundwork for future guest, uh, Lori Champion, who's going to come back on and we're going to talk about the role of birds in the supernatural it is rather interesting. Uh, birds are certainly uh, one thing that are, they're listed in quite a few places as not only supernatural, but associating with them and sensing them. So when I was doing my research on cats, I did come across uh, about a one-page section of research uh, that I compiled from various sources that I'm hoping to eventually form into the basis of yet another paper. Right now it's tentatively titled Birds in the Supernatural, and it deals with the bird cult of ancient mm-hmm. Egypt. So here we go. Toth was the intellectual of the Egyptian gods and he invented writing, clay wheel use, record keeping, law and the calendar. He was a scribe, secretary, historian and mathematician. With his pithy word use, he mastered the aspect of language that granted him mystical powers. He was associated with the ibis, a bird with white coloring and a black head. He was known as Kumunu as well as Toth, and here he actually had a number of non-native sacred animals including the hare, frog, and baboon, which were also imported for his cultic worship from Ethiopia and the Sudan. Because of these sacred animals, they did animal mummification. There's a necropolis that covers 37 acres and was considered even in ancient times to be a marvel. One gallery housed only dead ibises and was actually an open underground town. Four million mummified birds were found in the underground of this city, and an embalming table stood in the middle of each room with chemicals of natron, salt, and oil of turpentine left behind. Mixed in with the ibises were a few falcons and flamingos. Nearly all of these birds were badly embalmed and stacked upon one another in these huge, apparently like eight feet tall, stacks. I mean, wow, that's a lot of dead birds. The sheer number of birds shows to what inordinate links, animal worship was pushed to in ancient Egypt. This supports the idea that, like cats, these birds were also killed for the use of sympathetic magic. Many birds showed signs that their deaths occurred in the prime of life and were not related to old age or disease. These birds do appear to be wrapped in one of two ways, depending upon the level of rigor mortis that had set in. Their heads might be held upright or they might be bound down to the, uh, next to the animal's chest. A second cemetery was situated in Abydos, the sacred town of Osiris. Here, thousands of birds were also buried. Some of the bird jars held nothing but eggs. They actually had mummified eggs. Each egg, and numbers vary between a total of 40 to 100, was wrapped carefully in cloth to preserve the shell. There's a secondary god uh, linked up with the Ibis, Imhotep who was the ancient architect who built the famed Steppe Pyramid in Egypt, was also deified in 170 BCE. He became the god of medicine, though he was also noted for his political roles, building genius, and his work as a sage, scribe, chief reader-priest, astrologist, and musician. In other words, he was the Egyptian version of Leonardo, and so he was a Renaissance guy. Miracles were dedicated to this god, despite the fact that his tomb was never found. Thirty-eight different kinds of birds have been found mummified in Egypt. These include buzzards, sparrowhawks, kites, small eagles, and most prized, the falcon. The falcon was the incarnation of Oris, the tutelary god of the monarch, depicted with a falcon head or as the bird itself. So there you go, just a little groundwork for our next episode, hopefully, of Paranormal Pets. If not the next episode, then one of the next In which, uh, again, Lori Champion will come on and we're going to talk about particularly talking birds and their role with the supernatural. She's got some really fascinating ideas out there about if birds can hear ghosts, can they parrot them? And actually, while I'm here, I might as well also say that we do have a call-out for bird ghost stories. So if you have a ghost story that involves a bird, please do let us know. Uh, We'd love to hear it. We'd love to start compiling it. And we'd love to be able to use it on the show or for future shows if you are so willing to be interviewed. In the meantime, I will wish all of you a wonderfully haunted time. We are at the end of our episode, as you can hear by the snoring pug in the background. Essentially, always remember, if you will, to please support Animal Rescue. Hug Rescue of Florida, of course, is one of my personal favorites. We are currently fostering a little little boy who is seizure-prone, but we're working on stabilizing those seizures. Hugs are always absolutely delightful little guys, absolutely worthy of time and attention, which they will return to you tenfold. I also happen to do some rodent rescue. I will say that this summer has been a boom for rodent rescue, particularly as I'm unaffiliated, so it's just me doing this. But I did acquire, I think, um, wow, four or five, maybe six uh, new rats over the summer, which when you're a single person, that's a lot. That doubled my rat population. Also if you are interested in more stories of the paranormal or you'd like to see websites on shadow animals, paranormal pets, we're trying to compile. Heck, you name it, we probably have it somewhere. Paranormal pocket pets, paranormal pugs. Do feel free to check out the Spirits of St. Petersburg site where all of these links are currently listed. That site, again, is www.spiritsofstpetersburg.com. I'm looking forward to having a few more guests come on to the show. And if you know of anybody who'd like to be on the show, who has a, an interesting animal ghost story that uh, they'd like to have read, feel free to email the show, and that story will get to me. And I very much look forward to them.
1: Pet Life Radio presents Paranormal Pets, where you can always expect the unexpected.